With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. KXNO. Ken Miller. Trent Condon. Miller and Condon on 1460 KXNO. All right, good morning, everybody, and welcome in. It's Miller and Condon on a Wednesday, Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO, talking sports with you for the next couple of hours and appreciate you spending some uh, of your morning here with Trent and I. The BMW of Des Moines guest list here uh, this morning looks like this. John Bowencamp, uh, who was in Evanston last night, will uh, recap uh, the Hawks' convincing win last night over Northwestern. Yes, I know where Northwestern resides in the Big Ten standings, basketball. Basketball, college basketball's most competitive conference, uh, but it was a home game, and we've seen teams go on the road and not fare well. Uh, it wasn't the case last night for the Hawks, uh, thanks to in part uh, to Luca Garza, but he had some help as well. So John Bowen Camp will opine on that, amongst other things, coming up at ten twenty-five as we take a look at the Hawkeyes. John Walters is in Waco, getting set for tonight's tilt. ESPN Plus is where you can watch it. You can hear it down the hall here. On 100.3, the bus. It's Baylor. It's Iowa State. It's uh, John Walters joining Trent and I at 10:45. Wednesday means the Capman stops by from Chicago. David Kaplan will catch us up on the latest doings with the Cubs. We'll do some Bears uh, with Cappy as well, uh, as we've said uh, in the past. But want to say it again, just in case we gained some audience members yesterday. Uh, we tape Cappy uh, at 8:30 in the morning because he's on the air uh, doing his show on ESPN 1000 and over in Chicago. So Cappy will join us at 11.15 and then Bill Bender who joins us every Wednesday during football season. I know technically college football is over but he was uh, in the Superdome on uh, Monday night. We'll do a little bit on that and maybe some of the stuff still percolating, some of the college football topics uh, that we can eh, anticipate popping up Prior to the, what did I see? 273 days before it starts again. I think the... 218. Is it what it is? Two, yep. That's better. It was 219 yesterday. I told you that. Oh. Well, that's good. Thanks for listening to me. Well, I mean, I, I, I thought this came right from the Hawkeye football Twitter account. Uh, that, now, where it was, it was Hawkeye Images. Now, are okay. they associated with, with each other? I think Hawkeye Images, I think he is a photographer okay. and uh, works... Uh, I think he might be... No, that's Webcentric, I think, that works for Tom Caker. But yeah... Think, uh, and full disclosure, Trent, yeah. I may have seen the tweet after eight thirty, and <laughs> I, I know what that means right. for you. Yes, right. Yes. So, uh, but 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 I'll take uh, I'll take your two hundred and nineteen days because that's a whole lot better. All right, lots of ground to cover. I don't know if we'll spend much time on the centennial class for the Hall of Fame, and we wondered yesterday. Uh, was he, what was yesterday? Tuesday. So we wondered on Monday mm-hmm. why the coaches. Uh, in Cower and Jimmy Johnson uh, heard their names or were recognized during their uh, during their television uh, appearance over the weekend, and apparently there's a centennial class of the Hall of Fame where they're trying to right some wrongs with some of these veterans mm-hmm. that retired post or pre rather 1994, and they got a lot of. Uh, 
guys that probably should have been in for before, but for whatever reason didn't. And a couple of Hawkeyes yeah, involved and in, in that. In fact, I mean, I knew of one. I had no idea that uh, Duke Slater uh, played at uh, Iowa. He's the other mm-hmm. one, right? I mean, obviously, we know Mongo. He is one of the two retired numbers at the University See, of I Iowa. See, I didn't know that. Him and, of course, Niall Kinnick, 24. Yeah, yeah. But uh, also Duke Slater, the other. I, I just learned something. I wasn't aware of that. Uh, but uh, Alex Kara certainly did. And uh, I read a quote a long, long time ago. I mean, I was a kid when I w- read this quote. Uh, someone was talking about Alex Karras, and he, somebody said that he, I don't know, what, maybe in the 70s. I guess I can't remember exactly when it was. But he holds up his socks with thumbtacks. <laughs> okay, so you're telling me this is a tough SOB. Yes. I, I get it, right? Absolutely. I mean, my memory of him Blazing Saddles? Not even that. At first, it was Webster. Oh, see, I didn't watch that show, but yeah, he was on that. And but. that was one of my favorite shows as a little kid, because yeah. that's a little guy, and he comes out of a clock, and how great is this? And then you find out, hey, he played for the Hawkeyes. Yeah. How cool is that? Get a little bit older, see Blazing Saddles for the first time. Hey, it's that same guy. Mm-hmm. That was the TV dad on a sitcom in the 1980s, and uh, one no, heck of a football He really football. did. Now, where did he run afoul with the league? Was it gambling? It was. It was him and Paul Horning. Uh, I think it was I Paul I think they Horning. were both involved yes. at the same time. In the same era. Yes. Um, so that was why he got the, his black mark beside him or whatever, right. yeah, I guess. He, I think he had a year banned from mm-hmm. the league. I remember, and I can't remember where I heard it. It might have been Jim Zobel, something like that, but the story... Of Alex Karras as he was awaiting to be allowed into the University of Iowa. He didn't qualify coming oh, out of high school. Gotcha. But Forrest Evashevsky said, we need this dude. Yeah. We got this dude. <laughs> he right. wants to be to Iowa. So I think they put him up at like Iowa Lakes Community College, something like that. Put him up there for a year. That's where he was, or maybe even two years before he became eligible. I can't remember the, the nuts and bolts of the story, but just um, going back even to those days, how mm. recruiting was, and he got a guy... And, uh, let's put him somewhere. Yeah, hide him. Yes, and, right. And they found a place to hide right. him up in Northwest Iowa. Yeah, it's uh, it's a great story. Well, hats off to those two guys. A couple other names that you may have heard. If you're an old timer, remember Donnie Shell from the Steel Curtain. Of course, Paul Tagliabue, the commissioner of the league. Steve Stable, who followed in his dad's footsteps. That's a great one. Uh, yeah, he deserves to be in there. Uh, Harold Carmichael caught a ton of passes from. Uh, an ESPN guy who you probably know him, Ron Jaworski, a lot of you folks out there yeah. for his work at ESPN. I didn't know he played quarterback for the Eagles. Well, he did, and he threw the ball a whole lot uh, to Harold Carmichael. So those are the ones. There's some, I mean, Drew Pearson didn't get in. He's taking it very hard. And I, I mean, look, that's, uh, these guys want their, their legacy to have those, that uh, pro football Hall of Fame credential beside them. All right, so let's go back to last night. Uh, as we uh, watched Iowa and we watched Luca Garza burst onto the scene and score the Hawks' first 10 points, and then went quiet yes. in the basketball game for like of game time, 20 something minutes before he got it going again. Trent, there's a lot of guys that we'll talk about in this segment. A lot of Hawks uh, really played well last night and had a big hand uh, in moving to 500 in the conference now with 3-3. Three and three. Clearly, Garza was one of them. But I've got to be honest with you on the C.J. Frederick thing. I think this snuck up on everybody. Now, McCaffrey kind of hinted during the teleconference on Monday. I did some stuff. Mm-hmm. I put up a few shots. I felt like it was eh, maybe another week or two. That's how I read between the lines of mm-hmm. that quote. And all of a sudden, what, about an hour, hour and a half before the game? Yeah. C.J. Frederick's out there. Right. And then C.J. Frederick's going to play. And 
Whoa. And, and play well. He did. He missed his first, first couple of shots, yes. you could see. Uh-huh. And those first couple, you're like, oh boy, did they push him too yeah. quickly? Is this going to go rough? But no, he was he was C.J. Frederick again, mm-hmm. and he is so important. This dude is really good. No, he's uh, he's uh, and they need him, uh, and that goes without saying because um, with with the behind and loss for the uh, rest of the season, Frederick's a difference maker and has a chance to be a difference maker. It's pretty apparent that Chris Collins looked at the box box score from the uh, last couple of and said, "You know, we're taking Joe Wieskamp out of this yep. game. We are not going to let him get an open look and shoot the basketball." He did all of his damage at well, not all of it. He got a couple of uh, a couple of field goals, but he was seven for seven uh, from the charity stripe from the free throw line. Uh, he was really good there. He was good defensively. Uh, McCaffrey starting to make some shots and that's yes. a positive sign because they need him. Seems like teams were backing off him and not daring him to shoot the basketball, but certainly giving him that opportunity if he wanted to do so. And if he can make those shots, it's going to be a different team. And, and Trent, th- this is, and to me, it's not even close. This is college basketball's top to bottom most competitive conference. Oh, no doubt. I mean, you and I are going to tape our media comm show later on, and mm-hmm. now the football, for the most part, is behind us. We're doing power rankings for the three leagues, right? And we were going to just keep it at five. We couldn't do it after the Big Ten. Trent, once you get past, well, after after Wisconsin uh, picks off Maryland last night, I think after Michigan State, you can put a whole bunch of teams in a hat and just pluck them out. <laughs> yes. Honest to God. Oh, let's fast forward to March when we get to... The Big Ten Tournament. Uh-huh. Michigan State's the one seed. I think we'd both agree with that. Yeah. Northwestern, Nebraska, they're the 13 and 14. Those are the two teams. And then what? Who's the two? <laughs> I thought Maryland. I, I, no, thanks. No, after the last couple of games, I'm with you. I'm with you. So and who I, is it? And that's the I thing. don't know. I, I you watch, like Illinois. I do like Illinois. I think they got some pieces. I, I like Rutgers. I don't think Rutgers, though, is going to be in the top three. No, or four. I don't. I think Illinois can be because they got guards. They've got uh, they've got some guys that can shoot. They've got some bigs. Coburn's a stud. Kofi Coburn is unbelievable uh, and is still learning the game. And, Sumo, I mean, he can get to the rim yes, seemingly anytime he absolutely. wants. Absolutely, he's not shooting as well as he did, I think, last year. But no, he's, but he's got a potential to yes. do that. I'll tell you, the team that's sneaking up on me is the Badgers. Didn't see it again. I didn't. I didn't see this coming. <laughs> this team. They lost three straight games. They lose to Richmond, New Mexico, and NC State in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. They lose that game early in the Big Ten season in early December against Rutgers. Like, well, looks like the Badgers mm-hmm. are down. Yeah. And since then, they've won seven of eight, including wins against Penn State on the road, Ohio State on the road, and the home game and against that's Maryland. that's saying something, because yes. you just don't go on the road in the Big Ten this year and win, as we've seen. And it's not just... I mean, Michigan State got their you-know-what kicked on Sunday. That was embarrassing. Was it Saturday or something? One over Sunday. the week. Sunday. That's what I thought. Uh, just, just, it's the road in the Big Ten. This is, this conference is just a, you know what. It is. And I'm not even sure. I shouldn't say. I think Michigan State, when it's, when it's all works itself out, yeah. is the team that's going to be there. But would I fall off my chair? No. No. If, if it's somebody else. Maybe this is the year Iowa can win their first Trent regular season college. title. It might be thirteen and seven. That's all right. But get to fly a banner. Who cares? When you got to go back to nineteen seventy nine, since the last time you've done something, mm-hmm. you'll accept it in any fashion that it comes. Right. And if the Big Ten continues to go this route, and Michigan State doesn't figure it out, it might be thirteen and seven, seven losses, mm. and you win your league title. Wouldn't mm. shock me. It wouldn't shock me at all because of the top to bottom nature yeah. of this. One through twelve is good. The Gophers are finally playing well. Yeah. That was another team early on. Felt like, yeah. oh, this is going to be a rough season. We'll see what little Ricky's got. 
They're playing well. Not just Arturo, but they're finally getting shooting. Carr's been playing at well, a really high Carr level. Well, Carr is, and they need him. He was he was in foul trouble. What game was I watching that he was in foul? Oh, a couple of nights, a couple of games back, and he was in foul trouble and picked up his fourth with like 18 and a half minutes left in the second half, and they were just out of it at that point. Uh, yeah, he's they, they need him on the floor. Um, oh, my God, this is going to be fun to watch. Big mm-hmm. Ten Network, whether... You know, whether I was playing or if Iowa State has the night off or none of the Valley teams are on the tube, just pick up a random, go to go to 610 on DirecTV, find a game. I'll guarantee it's going to be competitive. Uh, Joe Toussaint last night, what do we make of this? And it was pretty apparent that McCaffrey saw what everybody else did, and Bakari Evelyn um, seemed to take those minutes and... I don't want to say excelled in those minutes, but it was certainly an encouraging performance out of the grad transfer, the senior and Bakari Evelyn, who they're going to need. I thought Pemsel, although he didn't score, did some things in his 16 minutes. Creener. Creener was good. Uh, they're not going deep. They went eight deep on the bench last mm-hmm. night, but it's a nice win. When you have Frederick back with this team, this, again, has the look of an NCAA tournament team. Yes, right? no doubt. They beat Maryland, but even early in that game, going back to Friday night... If Maryland shot the ball even decently, I mean, Iowa was going to be looking up, and they're down 12-2, right. just like that. Yeah. But Maryland could hit the bright side and of the barn. And, down? Uh, the Hawks were down 15-10, I 15-10, think? 15-10, yeah. yeah. That was their biggest deficit of the mm-hmm. game, and, and they made their run right after that. But with Frederick, this has the look, to me, of being a tournament team. That they're solidly in. Not, we're not going to be talking bubble come, hey, you got to win a game when you get to Big Ten tournament. Nothing like that. This is a solid NCAA tournament team. And because of the limitations that they have, with the bench, you're going to need these roles. There's going to be games like last night where Toussaint, he's going to play poorly. He's a freshman. Yeah. He's a freshman that still has some warts in his game. The shooting ability certainly isn't there. His ability to stop and start and regenerate the offense and use that great speed and not just be head down straight ahead, I'm going fast, but able to change gears, that's going to be a part. And there's going to be rough moments out there. But overall, this has a look of a team that is really, really good and a team that do we put them in the conversation of being in the double by being one of the top four teams? That's what you have to do. You know, so there's there's going to be yeah there's going to be four teams that get, or a couple of teams to get there. I, I don't know the difference between being in that top four and maybe being an eleven seed might be a game or two. Right. I mean that's how tight it's going so to there, be. So there's clearly a couple of spots. I mean yes. Michigan State's going to take one of them, but mm-hmm. I, I absolutely after that I agree with you. There's nobody that you can feel confident uh-huh. in right now. Schedule sets up for them now three consecutive home games. <laughs> To do that, though, to get that double by, you're probably going to have to win all three of these games. Give them to me. Michigan first. Michigan. Next Wednesday, Rutgers. Yeah. Uh, and then Whiskey? it's Wisconsin. Yes. On, what is it, Monday night, right? Yeah, the Monday game okay. that they play against the Badgers. So those three, all at home. Hmm. If we're talking about getting into that top four, though, probably going to have to win each of these three games. Put yourself a five-game winning streak, yeah. and then that's when the schedule, though, starts to tighten up. You go to Maryland, home for Illinois, at Purdue, home for Nebraska, at Indiana, at Minnesota, back-to-back, and then the last five games. Ohio State, Michigan State on the road, <laughs> Penn State, Purdue, and finish up at Illinois. <laughs> there are no off How nights. How fun is this, right? Yeah. No, there's really, well, Nebraska, see, yeah. well, Nebraska beat them over they there. They did, right. So maybe they look at the it as an angle. off night. Well, yeah, and they'll, they'll clearly do that. Oh, it's it's great. Well, meanwhile, uh, in the Big Twelve, the team that's on top of the division. Are you buying Baylor? I am. Are you buying? I was. I anticipated they were going to play well in Lawrence Saturday, but watching, See, I didn't think they. What did they win by a dozen? They did it, and the fashion that they did it, and the way that they were able to clamp down uh-huh. defensively on uh-huh. them and just completely take Kansas out of the game. The only guy that could score in the first half was Isaiah Moss. 
Now, of course, he was doing Isaiah Moss things and right. passing up open three-pointers to step in and shoot 18-footers. He was hitting those 18-footers, but uh, Isaiah Moss, that guy, uh, still is the same guy that we saw three years is at the University the of Is he the first Iowa. off the bench for self now? He is, yeah. yeah. yeah he, he's out there. But, again, this Baylor team, and it, and it goes back to Scott Drew. And for whatever reason, first of all, his tenure, how long he has been at Baylor. Mm-hmm. Was he going on, like, year 16, been 17? Long, been a long time. What he walked into, a place that... Has no history of winning. No. I think they made a Final Four in 1950 or something. But Trent, folks, folks, fan bases used to point and laugh at his coaching moves that he would yeah. make and the use of his timeouts. And the other po- thing proving was, him wrong. was Scott Drew. Well, he can recruit. He can recruit, but that's it. Yeah. He hasn't had a top 50 player in the last four recruiting cycles. Huh. He is not doing this with just going out and getting McDonald's All-Americans right. and rolling the ball out and seeing. He is doing this with under-the-radar recruits, turning them into NBA players and winning a lot of games in the process, a couple of elite eights, he has played at a high, high level with this program. And something that, again, this season, I knew they were they were the number two pick, I think, coming into mm-hmm. the year. But I thought the gap was pretty significant between them and Kansas, at least in terms of talent. After watching it Saturday, I think the gap is a lot different the other way. I think yeah. the gap is significant. Baylor on top and Kansas second. Do you really? Yeah. Huh. Yeah, well, the, like you said, the game was at Fog Allen. They went mm-hmm. in there and they won by a dozen, and they'd never won there. In, in, I mean, I don't know when their last win was there. Until last year, Scott Drew had more losses inside of Allen Fieldhouse than Bill Self did. Isn't that crazy? They finally flipped last year when yeah. Kansas took a couple more losses <laughs> yeah. than they normally do, but Mm-mm-mm. he had more losses than the guy that had been coaching in, what, coaches 15 to 18 games yeah. every single year in that. He goes there at best once. And he had four losses to Bill Self. So what does Prom do tonight with his starting lineup? Does he is it a similar lineup that we saw the other I mean Condit has to start, right? But what what so. does this mean to you know, to, to Solomon Young's minutes, to Michael Jacobson's minutes, Trey Jackson gonna play more, does Lewis is what is has he earned uh, a bigger role in this basketball team? Um Do you like the nine man rotation with the starting lineup that we saw, coupled with Jackson, Lewis, Young, and Griffin off the bench? Yeah, I think Zion Griffin's got a spot. I do too. Yeah, I, I like to see him get that twelve to sixteen minute mm-hmm. range kind of every single game. I think that's a good role for him. I would probably. I mean, is it time to slow down Caleb Grill and start to cut him out of the rotation? Well, he's struggling to make his shots. Yes. I mean his ba- his basket the other night he was standing right underneath it. Um, he made a couple of nice cuts and got open. And he was found, so I got to give him that credit. Um, yeah, probably. I mean, I bought as we as we've talked about. You bought stock in Jackson, the mm-hmm. freshman. I I took the uh, Caleb girl, um, but clearly at this point, I, I think you got to still play him. But I'm not sure how much. To your point, maybe just a rotational piece yeah, for or, three four minutes in the first half, right, and that's right, probably right. going to be it. Bolton's coming on. They needed yes. that out of out of Bolton, and they're and they're getting that from him. Nixon seems to have his minutes cut in the last uh, in the last game. Will uh, will I think Trey Jackson's a big reason? for Well, that I too. wonder why if, yeah. if that's right. because Dre Jackson's got to play defense. Mm-hmm. Got to look after things at the defensive end of the floor, and if he's willing to do that, because that's uh, that's Nixon's calling card is he's going to defend you. Mm-hmm. That was that was his reputation uh, when he came from Fort Collins from Colorado State. Um, so we'll see tonight. Look, it's 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 a big it's a big spot. Yeah, it's a big and I got to think it's a big number, right? It is. It's eight and a half. Okay, I would have thought maybe it was even more than that. You know, the Baylor team, the way that they play, though, this is a team. This is a game. If you're ever going to go to a four guard lineup and mm-hmm. say 
either Conant or Jacobson, you're going to be the starter in the middle and the other guy's going to go to the bench. This would be the one to do it because the way that they play, this is a very much a four-guard type yep. of lineup out yep. there with Mitchell, Butler, Teague, Vital, and uh, Gillespie usually in the middle. Because Clark's not playing many minutes, and he's their one. Oh, no, they got Thamba, too. Mm-hmm. Right. They're two, and those are both bench players. So they start a lot of guards on this team. Drew starts four guards. If you're going to play and play the matchup towards them, this would be the time you push that button. It'll be, we'll see. We'll see if John Walters maybe can give us a little nugget here later on if they're toying with the idea of changing the lineup again tonight. Well, uh, John will join the program in about 25 minutes at uh, 10.45 or thereabouts. Again, the game airs down the hall on 100.3 The Bus. If you don't have ESPN+, Plus, you can uh, do it the old-fashioned way. Turn on the radio, 100.3 The Bus. All right, it's time to pay your bills. With iHeartRadio and 1460KXNO, text the keyword JOCK to 200-200. Right now, that's JOCK to 200-200. You'll get a confirmation text and info. Standard data and message rates apply in this nationwide contest. Uh, John Bowenkamp from the Maven, which is uh, under the Sports Illustrated umbrella. Uh, He was in Evanston last night. We'll talk about that with John and going forward uh, to what lies ahead as we continue here. Miller and Condon until noon, talking sports with you on Des Moines Sports Station, 1460. I'm a dream builder. Station 1460 KXNO with you until noon. John Walters in about 15 minutes. We'll go live to Waco with John Walters, the Clones, and the Baylor Bears tonight. Uh, you can hear the game down the hall on 100.3 The Bus. Let's uh, get John Bowenkamp in here. Uh, he was in Evanston last night as the Hawkeyes took care of business. A rare road victory. The road has not been kind to any of the Big Ten teams this year. John Bowenkamp, Trent and Ken, thank you for coming on. John, how are you? I'm doing good. How are you guys doing? Doing well. Appreciate you coming on. Uh, look, it was the uh, Luca Garza show. I loved your tweets last night. Uh, you tweeted out his uh, uh, that span, that run that he went on. It was unbelievable. And the fact that yeah. he did his damage with that big gap, right? I mean, he got the first 10 points of the game and then didn't score the rest of the uh, first half. Uh, what was it? About a 25-minute gap and then finished with 27. Gap, yeah. It was a twenty-five minute gap, and I mean, I mean, some of that had to do with his foul trouble. Sure, and he was on the bench, but um, you know, you look at his. It was funny when he started on that scoring spree. I, you know, we were sitting up there in press row, and I said to somebody, "I go, he can still get thirty points." And you know, I mean, I, I mean, that's just. I mean, I mean, when when he started on that run, there was still you know eight or nine minutes left in that game, and so. You know, really, I, I thought he was going to get to thirty, and you started thinking if he gets to thirty, and he didn't score for and didn't score for twenty five minutes, that's a pretty good run, you know. So um, he just is, just continues to to put up points and and do the things, but but they learned last night that they could win without him, and I mean they 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 maintained control of that game with him out, you know, even extended the lead a little bit, and then he came in and finished it off. You know, it's one of those games that we knew we were going to see at some point. Garza picking up foul trouble and, and how they were going to play. Fran McCaffrey, he is a ardent supporter of fouling out his own guy, which I don't agree with, as I'm sure we've talked about before, John. But that's what he does. Guy gets two fouls in the first half. You're sitting. You're, you're sitting, and that's going to be the way that it is. But for them to be able to do that, 
yes, it's Northwestern. They're not very talented, certainly right, right. now. And, and without Boo Booey out there, that even took them down, I think, another level there. But this shows this team that they can win without Garza on the floor. But to me, it comes back to C.J. Frederick. We've seen this team, and yep. nice win against Maryland Friday night, but they're a different team with him out there on the floor. They they really look like an NCAA tournament team with him out there. Well, I mean, he, he, he does three things. One, he, you know, I mean, he obviously shoots the ball well. I mean, he, I mean, he was came in last night a 50% shooter from three, you know, went three for seven after missing two games, really three for five because he missed those first two and then and then really shot the ball well. He plays really good defense, and he can distribute the ball. And if, and if you want to throw in a fourth thing, he adds a little bit of toughness and a little bit of swagger to mm-hmm. that team. So with him with him out there last night, there was there, he just they were just a totally different team. I think without with him on the court, and I think it made a big difference last night because now all of a sudden that's another shooter that defense has to recognize. <coughs> Excuse me, that allows them to, to not you know allows opposing teams not to pack it in the way Nebraska did, the way Maryland tried to do. And so, you know, I mean, with him out there, they're just so different, I think. Did uh, you guys get a chance to talk to Collins after the game? And Because it, it, my question, uh, John, it, it sure seemed like they were going out of their way to make sure that Wieskamp didn't go off, right? Specifically, they were going to not let him get his shot, that they were going to make him a facilitator, you know, distribute the basketball. Anybody with Wieskamp, and they chose, I mean, they forgot about Garza, I get it. Uh, but it seemed like Wieskamp was a focus of them trying to shut him down and not let him get him. Did Collins mention that at all? You know, I wasn't in, in the post game because his post game was going on. We had players out in the hallway. Gotcha. So I didn't really hear what. But but I do believe that that's what that was the plan last night. It's like, look, you know, let's see what we can do with Luca Garza, but let's try to take away Joe Wieskamp because of the way he had played, especially in the Maryland game and the way he's played all year. Let's let him, you know, let's try to get him off his game, you know, kind of the way he was at Nebraska when he missed some shots early. Let's try to get him out of it. And for the most part, they did that. But, you know, again, Iowa got a lot of points from Garza, but they got good play from everybody else. Mm-hmm. And then, like I said, you had, you know, like we talked about, you had C.J. Frederick in there. Now, all of a sudden, again, that goes back to with C.J. Frederick in there, that makes this team a little bit harder to defend because now you have three options that you have to take away rather than two. So, you know, I do think that that was the focus last night, and I do think they did a decent job on of keeping him out of getting into a rhythm, and, and, and I think that kind of made a difference in his game all night. John, Michigan State certainly still the favorite in this league. I don't think there's going to be much that's going to change the perception of that, even after losing by 29 to Purdue, as they did on Sunday. But those next few spots are wide open. Maryland, probably the most talented team, but they're going the wrong way right now. The Badgers are bumping back up. Illinois, certainly right up there in talent. Who do you like in that next tier? If you had to maybe rank teams two through five right now, who would be part of that group? God, I don't know if you could do it. I mean, honestly, I mean, I, I think I think how how this league is going to play out. And I wrote this yesterday, and and it and it's obvious to say this. Well, who wins on the road? Well, it's always kind of the way it is. But this year, it's, it's really big in this league. You know, six road there's six road teams have won this year. And, you know, I mean, six road mm-hmm. in, in games, six 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 games road teams won. That's unheard of in this league. I mean that that makes that makes that makes you think that. That middle section of teams, really from about three to ten, they're all going to be in that at the end of the year in that eleven, nine, ten, and ten cast. And God help the Big Ten with their <laughs> tiebreakers because they're going to have to be really wading through to some options. I think because I think it's just going to be really tough to win. So 
So if you and I think that's why Iowa probably laments a little bit not winning at Nebraska last week in a game they think very easily could have won as badly as they played, badly as they shot the ball. I mean, because you can't let those road games get away like that when you have a chance to win, and they didn't do that last night, and that was a good sign that they came in here, you know, kind of took took control of the game in the second half and really kind of put it away, you know, once Garza got back in there. So again, you know. I, I can't. I can't even begin to think because it, just the minute, just the time you start thinking somebody's playing well, they don't play well in this league. And so, so I like I said, I think it's up for grabs right now. I think you just want to accumulate as many wins as you can, and then see what falls around you. I'm with you. I think you can, you know, take Michigan State, and you can take uh, Nebraska, and you can take Northwestern and remove them. Michigan State's one, thirteen, fourteen. I got, uh, we we got figured out. Let's throw the rest in the hat, and we'll just pick them out because I think that's at yeah. this point of the season where we're at. Hey, I want to ask you about Cordell Pemsel. I know he didn't uh-huh. score last night, but I he thought he had. Good. Yeah, he. I thought he played well. He had a significant role. He was distributing the ball. He, there was one he threw over the top, and it, whoever it was didn't finish. But Pemsel in his sixteen minutes, there's a spot for him on this team. Yeah, and I mean, you go back to just a week ago in Nebraska. I mean, he didn't play well, had a couple of late-game turnovers that kind of hurt them a little bit. And you started thinking, okay, what what is this guy going to give you for the rest of the season? He came out, had a good game against Maryland. Last night was really good at, at feeding the post, yeah. getting the ball inside. Um, you know, and, and, and actually, it's funny, he hit that three-pointer against Maryland, which was the first right. of his career. Last night, they were kind of challenging him out there, and, and it was funny because it's like now all of a sudden it's on tape that he can hit a three-pointer. Well, now all of a sudden, hmm. <clears throat> Northwestern was kind of respecting that last night. And so that enabled, there were a couple times when, when actually somebody came out on him, you know, when he was out by the arc and he was able to dump the ball inside when there was no double team there, and, and Garza scores. So, again, you look at his numbers last night. I mean, the, the assist numbers, and he got a few rebounds. He, he had a very productive time in there, and I think it's just a matter of he's got a little confidence now. He's getting some decent minutes, and he gets 16 last night. Um, that, that, that's a really good production off the bench, which you're going to need down the stretch. Coming up next, it is Michigan on Friday night, and it looks like another beautiful weather day at a home game for Carver oh, yeah. Hawkeye. How does how does this happen? Seemingly every single time it feels like they got a game in Carver in January or February, there's going to be some kind of crappy weather that comes along with it. This is the basketball gods getting that back at him playing on Friday night. Um, <laughs> seriously, I mean, I mean, because it is. I mean, you know, you think about last Friday. I mean, big game against Maryland. It snows. A lot of people don't show up, and then of course it's a six o'clock game too. Now all of a sudden you got an eight o'clock game, and this storm sounds like it's going to be worse. Again, you never know what's going to happen sometimes. And again, it's going to keep the crowd down. And I, I mean, I feel bad for, I feel bad for the players because I mean, they, they deserve to get a really good crowd. It seems like every game there's some sort of weather issue. So we'll see what happens on Friday night. We'll see what kind of crowd they get. Uh, well, we now know that, uh, the guys that we thought were going to go to the NFL, they're going to the NFL. Stone yeah. was first, and then Epinesi yesterday, and Worf both make it official. Uh, they're going to go. How will you remember that trio, um, John, when you when we look back at the three guys that leave eligibility on the table? How will you remember those guys? You know, I, I think for A.J. Epinesi, I, 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 I wrote this yesterday, look back at his last four games. You know, and those last four wins for Iowa to end the season – and just how dominating he was. And go back to that Holiday Bowl, and you talk about a great way to go out. Right. 
you know, I mean, the way he played that night, I mean, he knocked the quarterback out of the game, and I don't say that in it was a dirty play. He, he made a, a perfectly good play and, and knocked the guy out of the game, but he was in the backfield the whole time. You go back to those last four games, he was so dominant. And, you know, the numbers were there, but there were also a lot of times when the numbers, you know, like he didn't get a tackle, but just his presence made such a big difference. That's how I'll remember him, just the way he played. Tristan Wirfs, I mean, you go back, I mean, this, this kid started as a true freshman, you know, which is really hard to do at, at a Power 5 conference on the offensive line. And he did that, and he had a great career this year. He played both sides, both sides of the ball, or both sides of the line. Um, you know, eight. I again so impressive. Geno Stone. Geno Stone. If, if he can, if he can get into a camp and get on a roster, I, a lot of that had to do with what he did at, during this season. <coughs> Excuse me. There, they were just. He was just so good all year, and you know, and was the big part of that defense. He was one of the guys in the defense that they could just not afford to lose if it ever happened. So that's how I remember those guys. I mean, this this was a really good year when yeah. you think back. They won ten games. These guys had a big part of it, and I think that's how they'll be remembered. So as you look at these three losses, I look at it pretty simply. They're, they're very deep at defensive back, a lot of young talent there. Right. They've recruited at a high level. They'll be able to figure it out, and it's in Phil Parker we trust. They're good there. Offensive line, yeah, you hate to lose that, lose a tackle as the talented as Wirfs, but Alaric Jackson is going to be back yes. for the season. Kallenberger was able to get his feet wet. I think he's the heir apparent out there at the right tackle position. You're good there. But that pass rush of Epinesa, it just doesn't feel like right now that there is that guy that is waiting in the wings to replace him, not only generating pass rush, but also being able to do what he did as a run stopper on top of it there. Are there any young guys in the wings, any guys, redshirt freshmen, something like that, that we haven't talked about? I know we saw a little Van Volkenberg. We saw little Wagner, Wagner a little bit. Yeah. yeah, the Dowling kid. But anybody else that comes to your mind in that defensive end group? I, I, I think it's going to be a com- by committee thing. I really do. You know, one of the things about A.J. Epinesa, too, that, that really, you know, when you think about early in the year, he was getting double teamed a lot. Well, that left a lot of the other guys open. And that made the rest of the line good because those guys were able to make some plays early. Then later in the year, he was able to adjust a little bit. That's why I think they're going to miss him most. It's just his presence made that made that line so much better because so much focus was on him. It opened up guys on the other side. You know, I, I think there are two positions, I think, that, that are really going to be the biggest keys to next year. And, I mean, one of them, obviously, is quarterback yep. because you've got, you know, that that's a battle that I think goes down to the final week. The other one is finding that, that mix on the defensive line. It may be a deal like what, what you had a couple years ago where you, you were rotating eight guys. And, you know, like I said, I don't think you're going to have – you're not going to have a guy get as many snaps as the way that A.J. Epinesa did this year. Hmm. So I, I think that, that you're going to kind of go back to that rotation. It's just a matter of can you find eight talented guys to do that. John Bowenkamp from the Maven. John, before we let you go, how can folks? Uh, I mean, I always butcher trying to get uh, trying to direct people to the website. Yeah. Uh, help us out. SI.com slash college slash Iowa. Pretty simple. SI.com. Go on there, join the community, comment on stories because I, I love talking to people. And you know, go on there, hit you know, read it, like it, do whatever, and comment with me because, like I said, I'll I'll talk back to you just like I do on Twitter. So. Uh, everybody out there, you know, get on there and, and be a part of the community. Wonderful. Thanks for uh, popping on this morning, John. Appreciate it. All righty. Have a good one. Yep. See you guys later. Yeah, good to talk to you. John Bowen Camp from the Maven.
SI.com slash college slash Iowa. Easy enough. Pretty simple. Uh, John Walters, we will head to Waco next. Baylor, Iowa State tonight, 100.3. The bus has the radio call locally. Miller and Condon take you until noon. It's Wednesday. David Kaplan will be here at about 11.15 as we go live every Wednesday. Not live. We go to Chicago every Wednesday to catch up with Cappy. And then Bill Bender will dot I's and cross T's on the 2019 college football season. Bill writes for the Sporting News. We're back after these on Des Moines Sports Station, 1460. Hi, Miller and Condon, Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. Thanks to John Camp from the Raven. We talked Hawks. Let's get to the Iowa State uh, side of things. They have a big spot tonight. They're the first place team in the conference, the Baylor Bears, off to a terrific start. Big 12 play. They are 3-0, and 13-1 overall. Scott Drew's team is doing some things, including walking into Fog Allen last week and pasting the Jayhawks by a dozen. John Walters is in Waco. The game airs down the hall on 100.3 The Bus, as well on the Cyclone Radio Network. John Trenton Ken, thank you for coming on. John Walters, how are you? Well, guys, how are you? I'm doing well. Appreciate you coming on, John. You know, this Baylor team, uh, where did you, when you were looking at, you know, basketball, I know you're in the throes of football season, but when you took some time to try and wrap your arms what we might see in the Big 12 this year, where did you have Baylor, and what did you think maybe uh, the, the strength of Scott Drew's team was going to be? Uh, well, how did you see in preseason, John? Well, I thought they were probably going to be the second best team in the Big 12. I, I, yeah. I had them right where the media did behind behind Kansas, yeah, absolutely, but but then you look at it and they've been even better than I think people anticipated. You know, I I even though I think people thought very highly of them, I think they've exceeded that. They have tremendous guard play and really good bigs and and they play hard and and they're well coached. I mean, it is it's a good formula and a lot of veteran guys that have been around for a while and some nice new pieces added to the mix, but even you know, even one of those new pieces in Teague is a veteran guy who played at North Carolina Asheville mm-hmm. and you know played very well there, and so he's got a ton of experience too. So they're they're a team that has a lot of different things, and it's hard to find a weakness with them. But uh, really impressed by what they've done so far and the people they've beaten. There's no question they have the best resume of of any basketball team out there. It's incredible what Scott Drew, again, kind of on the fly, changing the course of what this team is. You mentioned now very guard-dependent. In the past, we've seen them play with a couple of big guys out there. He has continued to evolve. It's one of the great coaching stories, I think, in college basketball, certainly over the last couple of decades, what that program was, obviously what happened as a program inside of it, and, and what he's done turning Baylor into Year after year, you know you're going to get a good basketball team out there. Not the easiest place to recruit throughout the years in Waco. Yeah, and maybe it is now. You know, I mean, there's mm-hmm. a lot of talent in that area, and as they continue to build it, maybe it has become an easier place to recruit. But I don't want to undersell what he's done. I mean, it's it's been very, very impressive. As you mentioned, he's been willing to adapt. I mean, he started out as an almost exclusively zone guy. Now he's playing almost all man-to-man with this team, and it fits them well. They're very good in field goal percentage defense, their best scoring defense in the Big 12. And, you know, it seems to fit what, what this group of personnel can do. And so um, it is a great story. And he's done it a little bit uniquely, uh, in fact, very uniquely in a lot of different areas. But one is he redshirts a lot of guys. I think eight of the 14 guys on this roster either are redshirting or have redshirted. And that's uncommon today in college basketball. So you get some guys that have been in the program for a little while, been around. He's done well with the transfer market. They 
you know, they've recruited well in their area, and they've recruited well outside their area. They've gotten a lot of good players out of Louisiana. And one constant throughout his time at Baylor, he's always had a very good point guard. I mean, and you can go all the way back to the beginning with Aaron Bruce and just keep going uh, through the years. He's always had a good point guard. And when you have a good point guard, you have a chance. No, you really do. Uh, you know, and I thought Baylor had a really good chance with the word that Tristan Clark was all the way back, and he's, you know, he was having such a terrific year. And I think it was about this time last year, John, when he was shut down for the year. Um, numbers haven't been there so far. Is this just a uh, carryover from last year, do you think, for Tristan Clark? Because I think there's more there from, from him. Yeah, it must be. You know, that's one of the real surprises in a negative way for this Baylor team. Most of the surprises have been very positive. Yeah. But I thought they, you know, I mean, he was a preseason Big 12 selection, and I think a lot of people thought, well, he'll just come back and pick up right where he left right. off, and he hasn't been able to do that. But, I mean, he, he was averaging about 14 points and eight rebounds, I think at 31 blocks through 14 games. And I think it was in the Iowa State game last year that he got hurt, and, uh, and that was the end of it for him, which uh, was really unfortunate because he was playing at a super high level. But, you know, with the development of Freddie Gillespie at that point, he came in, kind of took that spot and has run with it. And, you know, Mark Vital was coming off the bench in favor of Tristan Clark early in the season, and they finally just said, you know, Vital's one of our best guys. He's got to be out there. And and Clark had really been struggling. So they, you know, they did what they had to do, and they put their best five guys out there. And, uh, you know, having a guy like Clark coming off the bench, even though his numbers aren't great, we know what he's capable of, and it's just one more weapon that Baylor has at 6'10". Hmm. You know, he's a, he's a dynamic player. So, they have a lot of different ways that they can play, no question about it. They uh, are not a real big team. We talked about the guard play, but they get to the offensive glass incredibly well. Six in the country in offensive rebound percentage. They do that. They're going to crash it hard. They're going to do a lot of the Scott Drew type of things that we're used to. And on the defensive end, a really good team on that side of things, too. Not just what they do offensively, but on the other end of the floor. Yeah, and it starts with guards. I mean, this is this is going to be a fun game for people to watch tonight so too. in regards to, you know, guard play. I mean, I think guard, mm-hmm. people enjoy watching good guard play in college basketball. And tonight you're going to see Jared Butler and Davion Mitchell and Macy Oteague and Devontae Bandu out there for Baylor. And you're going to see Rajir Bolton uh, and, and Tyrese Halliburton, Iowa State's collection of guards. Trey Jackson played really well, I thought, the other day mm-hmm. against Oklahoma. It's going to be a fun matchup in the backcourt. But... Uh, they do. They get up on you. They're very aggressive with their man-to-man pressure. They create a lot of turnovers. And then, they, as you mentioned, they just hammer the boards, and especially the offensive boards. And that's where Gillespie has been such a find for them. I mean, he's averaging more than four offensive rebounds a game. And this is a guy that, you know, was at Carlson College and played 16 minutes as a freshman. You know, at a Division three school mm-hmm. in Minnesota, he was, a, he was a 16-minute player as a freshman. And he ends up walking on a Baylor and you know, he went toe to toe with Azubuki the other day right. and, and held more than held his own. You know, and they won on uh, on Kansas's court for the first time. So, you know, some of the things, some of the stories within the story on their team are, are just truly remarkable. Yeah, they really are up up on top of the conference. They're unbeaten. I want to go back to Rasier Bolton, John, who's seemingly since the calendar has turned to 2020, is the player that Trent and I were touting after we watched him in the Big Ten last year. We thought that this kid is clearly going to make a huge difference, certainly before his career is over at Iowa State, but don't be surprised if it's sooner rather than later. 2020 has been very kind to Bolton, and we're starting to see what uh, a lot of folks thought that Iowa State was getting. He was really good against Oklahoma, and it's been more than that. Yeah, 20 points a game in his last four, and I mean, if you 
look at that Oklahoma game. Why was Iowa State successful? So much of it was because of his ability when they played man to beat his man off the dribble and get to the basket and either create something for himself or for his teammates. He had six assists in that game. He had 23 points. They just could not stop him from getting to the basket. And that's what he does so well. And he's added the three-point shot. He's gotten better there. Um, certainly we expected him to be a decent three-point shooter, and he struggled out of the gate, but he never lost his confidence to keep shooting them, and now he's starting to knock some of those down, and it makes him a, a very, very dangerous player. And You know, some of it's probably to be expected, Ken, because you're a, you're a sophomore, mm-hmm. you're still a young guy, you didn't redshirt, you know, you, you're into a new program where there's a lot of guys that are in there that are established, and you kind of feel your way early, and then, you know, maybe assert yourself a little bit more as the season goes on. So I don't think it's completely surprising what's happened with Regier, but He's, uh, he's really playing at a high level. And when you get him and Halliburton going on the same night as Iowa State did against Oklahoma, that makes Iowa State pretty tough to beat, too. No doubt. Over to a little bit of football before we run out of time. John Walters joining us, the voice of the Cyclones. And for me, well, I'm a big dude, so it's about the offensive line, the guys <laughs> up front. Four starters to be replaced. I know there's been plenty of conversation. I know you've talked with Coach Manning and Coach and Coach uh, everybody out there on the offensive line side of things. But tell us about some of these new guys we're going to be hearing more about as we get into spring football up front. Yeah, there's going to be a real battle. You know, I mean, I think spring is going to be very interesting because uh, you know Trevor Downing returns. Certainly, mm-hmm. that's good. Colin Newell returns and. You know, Newell has the versatility that he can play center, guard, or even tackle. And so that gives you something there that you need because you might need him at any of those three spots. Um, you know, Joey Ramos, when he got his opportunity in the, in the last season, got in there and did a pretty decent job. Sean Foster's a guy that has some experience. There's some young guys in the program uh, that Matt Campbell's been very high on. And then there's some guys that have kind of been off the radar, like a Derek Schweiger, who you know, got his opportunities a little bit here and there this past year, but played well when he was in there, brought a real toughness to the position, and I think he's versatile enough to play guard or center, too. So I think, you know, they'll sort it all out. Certainly they, they lost a lot with four senior starters, but um, I think that they really feel good about the young guys that they brought into the program the last two years and what they're bringing in this year at that position. And you know, now, the way college football is now, you bring so many guys in in the spring as young players. I mean, Iowa State's got 11 new guys joining them in the spring, uh, two gray shirts, two junior college guys, and then seven uh, high school players you mm. know, that are they're still in, you know, just graduated from high school. And so some of those younger guys, uh, Hayden Pauls or whatever the case may be, Tyler Green, you know, they're, they're going to get more of an opportunity earlier in their careers to kind of establish themselves. I'm not saying those guys will start. I'd be highly surprised if a, if a true freshman started on the offensive line for Iowa State next year, but it gets their development going quicker. And I think that's very important for offensive linemen. And so, you know, I think it will all sort itself out. I think they've got a great offensive line coach, Jeff Myers, and Tom Manning certainly still has a lot of input on that kind of uh, part of the game as well. So, um, it'll, it'll be a, a, the number one thing that people are looking at with Iowa State football in the spring. But I, I do think it'll sort itself out and be a, a, a decent part of the football team next year. Now John Walters joins us. John, last thing for you. Last uh, last time you and, uh, well, Eric and Bloom were, uh, in, well, Bloom's not there tonight, but you and Eric are. It was 100 degrees uh, in Waco. I'm guessing, you guys, hopefully, you guys had air conditioning. But um, Matt Rule was on the sidelines. He's not there. He's in the NFL. Justin Fuente. Uh, Virginia Tech's name is be is circulating. Um, you're in Waco. Are you hearing any buzz as to who the next coach is going to be? I haven't talked to anybody about that, Ken. But yeah, yeah that's an interesting name. 
certainly. And, you know, I'm not surprised that Matt Rule left because he kind of flirted with it a year ago. Yes. Um, and he never made any bones about it. I mean, he's always said, uh, yeah, I'm going to listen, you know, to what the NFL teams have to say. And so he, he wasn't ever trying to hide the idea that he would at least be interested in hearing it. And, man, did he leverage that into a heck of a deal. <laughs> but, yeah, you know, I know the players have a guy that they want from within the staff. Yep. That's not uncommon, especially after a really successful season. That's, that's not uncommon at all. So I wouldn't be surprised if they went that direction either to try to keep some continuity. But, you know, it's a more attractive job than it used to be because of what Matt Rule did, you know. And um, it's, it's amazing what some of these Baylor programs have done after people have had them down and out. Uh, you know, you can mention Scott Drew and what he's done. Same thing with what, what Matt Roll did with that Baylor program in football. No doubt. John Walters, voice of Iowa State, will hear you on the broadcast tonight. Cyclone Radio Network, 100.3 The Bus. John, thank you. My pleasure, guys. Thanks. Yeah, good to talk to you. John Walters on Iowa State. All right, the 11 o'clock hour, we will uh, we'll get, we'll get to Cappy eventually, about 11.15 or thereabouts, and Bill Bender, as we take you until noon. Miller and Condon on Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO.